Welcome to The Landscape, your show about America's public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities, coming to you this week from beautiful, rainy, cold, very cold Portland, Oregon. And I'm Kate Grunsinger in Salt Lake City. On the show today, we've got a roundup of some of the most interesting and important statistics from the recently released Colorado College State of the Rockies Conservation in the West Pole. Always look forward to this conversation with the pollsters. Dave Metz and Lori Weigel. But first, let's do the news. Believe it or not, we're still talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. And that's because the House Republicans held a hearing this week for a bill that would essentially eliminate all of the fiscal reforms contained in the Inflation Reduction Act that were aimed at modernizing the federal oil and gas leasing system. The Transparency and Production of American Energy Act of 2023, that's right, the TAP American Energy Act, would return royalty rates, minimum bids, and rental rates to the outdated ones that were put in place in 1920. It would also eliminate the fees companies pay to nominate land for leasing and restore non-competitive leasing, letting companies again lock up public land for just $1.50 per acre. The bill would also grant oil and gas projects some exemptions from the National Environmental Policy Act, better known as NEPA. All in all, it's a terrible bill, and while it's unlikely to pass, it's a good indication of just how far Republicans are willing to go to help the oil and gas industry, which, we should note, is posting record profits right now after blowing through their records last year as well. On the flip side, a coalition of over 20 environmental groups sent a letter to Interior Secretary Deb Holland this week asking her to expedite the rulemaking process for oil and gas leasing reforms. Those reforms include the ones in the IRA that raise fees for production on public lands, as well as some other reforms, including ones that keep bad actors from leasing more land and ones that would increase public participation and tribal consultation in the leasing process. The letter notes that given that rulemaking is an inherently lengthy process, the Biden administration actually needs to publish draft rules by this month, the end of this month, or the end of next month in order to cement the reforms promised by the IRA. However, we haven't seen any proposed rules yet, so the clock is ticking and time is running out. Hey, one other thing to note this week, CWP just released a short film about the Caja del Rio Plateau in New Mexico. This is now the seventh installment in our Road to 30 Postcards video series, all of them featuring important landscapes in need of protection. This one is especially beautiful. Uh, go check that out, roadto30.org slash postcards, or you find that link in our show notes. Today, we are talking about the 13th annual Colorado College State of the Rockies Conservation in the West Pole. Joining us once again, pollsters Lori Weigel of Newbridge Strategy and Dave Metz with Fairbank Maslin Mollen Metz and Associates, better known as FM3. Lori and Dave, always a pleasure to have you back here on the podcast. Great to be with you. Thanks for having us. Lori, let's start with you. What is the upshot from this year's poll, if you had to to sum it all up? Well, I think what we've seen is that there's a great deal of consistency in terms of the conservation ethic of voters in the West, despite rising cost of living, despite concerns about gas prices, despite renewed pressure in some states from many um, folks moving into those states. We continue to see that over the course of the last 13 years, the one thing that people have really valued and held dear 
is the land, the water, wildlife in their state, and their ability to get outdoors and enjoy all those things. Dave, has has support in certain areas for conservation grown over the last 13 years that you've been, been running this poll? Um, I would say geographically, the story is really as Laurie has described. It's much more consistency than change, not just in the region as a whole, but in individual states. We have seen uh, pretty steady support for most of the conservation policies that we've tested over that period of time. Now, there are some differences. As we always note, uh, Wyoming tends to be a little bit of an outlier among these eight states with, particularly when it comes to energy policy, sometimes a, a slightly different view, uh, less breadth of support, although in general, as uh, the, the direction of their support looks a lot like the, the rest of the region. To the extent that we've seen change, it's been less geographic and more the nature of the issues that are concerning voters. Um, over time, the level of concern in the region about climate change has increased. And I think a lot of that has to do with the evidence that people are seeing on the ground around them. More frequent wildfires, uh, serious drought conditions, and generally more unpredictable weather. Um, and so whereas 13 years ago when we started the poll, it might be possible for some people to have a lot of skepticism about the impacts climate change would have, that's less possible today. And so we've seen those numbers going up uh, pretty steadily over the course of the, the last decade. I would just add that we've got a whole new group of voters that are a, gen a new generation of voters that are in this data today that weren't sure. in here when we started uh, conducting the survey. Would, would have been five years old when, when you started making doing right. this poll. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for dating me there. But, <laughs> but those voters are some of the most concerned, especially about climate change. We have 86% of Gen Z voters telling us that climate change is a serious problem in their state, and it's higher than among older voters of which I am one. So we are, you know, so some of it is definitely, um, is definitely seeing these impacts and voters really are changing over time, but we're also incorporating this, this entirely new generation that is quite um, concerned about this problem. So one thing I noticed in the poll that was striking to me is that two thirds of voters, including Republicans support both the goal to protect 30% of U.S. land and water by 2030, as well as executive action to designate monuments. Um, are those questions you've asked in the past, and how are those answers trending over the past couple of years? So 30 by 30 is something that we started asking just a few years ago. It's definitely, I mean, if anything, we're seeing support increase slightly, but still a net uh, increase over the last several years. I mean, we just haven't seen this great resistance to increasing protections and safeguards on public lands. People want to conserve these areas. When we've asked in the past about what they think takes place on public lands, there's a significant portion of Westerners that don't even recognize that energy development even takes place in these places. So they think of them how they experience them and they value the ability to go out, relax, take a hike, <laughs> go fishing or hunting, do those activities, and really also pass on those traditions to their children and grandchildren. You mentioned the concerns over wildfire and water as being certainly on the ascendancy, under, 
obviously so with, with folks being concerned about the drought. Um, what do they have to say this year, especially about the Colorado River and, and their understanding of the situation? So we asked voters in the four states that the Colorado River runs through. And we asked them to tell us how well certain descriptions apply to the Colorado River. Uh, At risk is one that we've asked consistently over the last several years. Um, Back in 2016, we still had many, many voters telling us that that the river was at risk, but it's the highest in three of those four states today. And people are really seeing this as something that is... um, more of an urgent problem than what we've seen in the past as well. Um, and so while we haven't asked about urgency, it was definitely definitely something that they thought was a fair description for the river as an urgent problem to address. You also asked about um, actions that voters would support in terms of uh, water conservation. What did you see in those results? Um Given the urgency that voters attach to concern about long-term water shortages in the region, um, what we see basically is they want to attack this problem on all fronts. They offer broad support for a wide range of different policies that would uh, sort of try to conserve existing water supplies and and, uh, identify new sources of water to to meet the region's long-term needs. Uh, The strongest and broadest support that we saw, with about 90% of voters in favor of each policy, We're investing in infrastructure to reduce leaks and wastes, uh, requiring local governments to make sure there's enough water available before they approve new residential development projects, and then increasing the use of recycled water for homes and businesses. And that's something that we've seen in a lot of other research. The public is really starting to understand better and kind of get over the yuck factor and have uh, more uh, support even for potable reuse, reuse of uh, uh, recycled water for drinking and, and other household Uh, uses. Um, Where we saw still majority support, but a little bit more public ambivalence was for things that would require them to modify their own behavior in more significant ways. Um, Things like uh, providing financial incentives for homeowners to replace lawns with water-saving landscaping, uh, or even to prohibit grass lawns as part of new development in the region. One other policy where we saw still majority support, but much more tentative support, was the idea of providing financial incentives to farmers to temporarily take land out of production during severe water shortages. 54% back that, but only about one in five strongly support it. And I think the ambivalence there likely stems from the fact that there's a whole lot of concern about food prices these days, uh, along with other aspects of inflation and the cost of living. And voters may be uncertain about how changing those agricultural practices might impact what they pay for food. So I think that ties in nicely with a question that we asked water scientist Brad Udall in our last episode about solutions to the Colorado River crisis. And he emphasized that the vast majority of water from the Colorado goes to agriculture. And I, I thought it was interesting that you asked this year where folks thought the most water went. And there, there seems to be a maybe an education gap. Is that a fair way to describe it? Absolutely. I do think voters are, well, nor should they be water experts, but sure. <laughs> it is helpful to have some context if we're going to decide which policy solutions really come to the fore. And so we asked respondents to tell us um, 
basically which of three groups they thought used the most water in their state. Was it farmers and ranchers? Was it people using water in their homes? Or was it industry and businesses? And there were only three states where we had a majority, and it was a bare majority that essentially got the answer right and told us that it was agriculture. Um, generally, voters were pretty mixed throughout the West. In fact, they were more likely to point to industry and business at 38% than they were to point to farmers and ranchers at 34%. So there's definitely some education or some information that could be helpful in trying to suss out uh, exactly how we address this problem. In, in some states more than others in particular, there was some big differences between the states on, on that one. Yeah, so it was Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho that were most likely to say farmers and ranchers. Um, Utah by big, a, big agricultural states. Yeah, okay. Utah by a, a slim margin as well, plurality there. Um, but generally in places like Arizona and Nevada and New Mexico, we saw more voters um, pointing to industry and businesses and whether they're thinking golf courses and the Bellagio fountain or exactly what they're thinking, uh, we don't know. Uh, but that's definitely... Um, Definitely some big differences throughout the West. And I'll just add to that, Aaron. One of the things we've seen when we do focus groups on this subject and ask people about water use by agriculture is um, they understand that water is the lifeblood of agriculture. And so they have this perception that uh, use of water by farmers and ranchers is incredibly efficient, that farmers and ranchers would never waste a single drop of water because it's their lifeblood. Whereas we all know, like in any other sector where water is used, there's more and less efficient uses that are taking place. And so um, I think that's the reason why, even though so much water does go to agriculture, uh, many voters suspect that the the use is much more limited. Mm-hmm. Particularly, as we learned in some of these water episodes, the, the use it or lose it incentives that come along with with senior water rights, of course. But all right, we, we won't fall that down any more of that rabbit hole, Kate. Sure. All right. Let's turn to um, renewables and oil and gas, which, of course, are both uses of our public lands. Um, How did this year's answers compare to previous years, given that gas prices are high and Westerners are worried about um, inflation? So overall, the data is very, very consistent on energy issues with what we've seen in in prior years. Um, we have a question that we've been asking pretty much as long as we've been doing the poll, where we ask voters to prioritize how public lands should be used um, and ask about whether they want to prioritize domestic energy production on those lands or whether they want to prioritize conservation of land, water, and wildlife. And more than two-thirds of voters this year, as in pretty much every past survey, have said they want to prioritize conservation. Uh, we've gotten that result in good economic times, and bad economic times, with high gas prices and low gas prices during Republican and Democratic administrations. And that priority really seems to be pretty consistent. Um, and what we see consistently also is a desire to move toward more use of renewable energy as opposed to fossil fuels by very similar margins. And remarkably, that preference cuts across every single state in our sample, even including Wyoming, although by a, a somewhat smaller margin than uh, what we see elsewhere. So I think that raises the question, given the consistency here, 13 years of basically bipartisan agreement across blue states, red states about a way forward, why don't these results then 
turn into consistent policy changes at the federal or the state level? That is the big question. I mean, if the public is all for it and they're for it against uh, cross-partisan lines, um, why aren't elected officials sort of seeing that mandate and following it? Um, I think there's a couple of factors that play into this. The, the first is just the salience of the issue. Um, issues relating to conservation are generally not the first thing that people are seeing on their nightly TV news or, or at the top of their newspaper. Water may be somewhat of an exception, but other than that, they're hearing about crime, they're hearing about the war in Ukraine, they're um, hearing about issues relating to inflation and the cost of living and, and uh, reproductive choice. And all of those issues end up, because they're just much more talked about, uh, being more of a focus of voters' decisions when they are choosing elected officials and probably the kinds of things they're communicating to elected officials about. Secondly, we have a structural issue uh, because these states, like so many others, are, are pretty gerrymandered in the sense that districts are drawn in most cases to be safe seats for either Democrats or Republicans. Uh, elected officials often aren't as concerned about where the, the median voter is in November. Um, they aren't as concerned about that as they are concerned about where their primary voters are. Because for many elected officials, certainly most members of Congress, they have much more to fear from a primary challenge than they do from a November election. And that means in the case of Republicans, they're going to pay a lot of attention to the more conservative voters that are sort of the right flank who vote in primaries. And that's the one subgroup in this polling that really does differ on uh, many of these issues from where Democrats are, where independents are, and even from where more moderate uh, uh, Republicans are. And then the third factor is just interest group politics, right? What the public thinks is, is one influence on elected officials, but certainly on many of these issues, particularly energy policy, water policy, there are groups and organizations with a lot of money at stake in policy decisions that also are making their voices heard. And that's another factor that obviously most elected officials are taking into account when they make these decisions. So we should go back and explain here. Dave uh, is a primarily Democratic pollster. Lori is primarily a Republican pollster. So I want to follow up on that with Lori. When you're meeting with candidates or or groups that are are looking for public opinion research, what do you hear from them when they see numbers like this? Well, I think that for the most part, conservatives consistently tell us First of all, they, they've said in this survey, uh, every single time we've asked, that they consider themselves to be a conservationist. There's a right. strong relationship between, um, between especially sportsman activities like hunting and fishing and identifying as a conservationist. They believe that they want to do good things for our, for nature and for water and for all these other things. It's usually a, a question of how we go about it. And oftentimes the quibble is over, you know, quote unquote, big government regulations. Are we doing it through uh, more grassroots and, and local standards? Um, so, and occasionally there's some question about wording of a question we've asked or something like that. These are often very complex, big plans that have been put together and they could be described in a multitude of ways. But I think that there's that, that, cons that consistent and strong recognition that we all want to take care of these places. And it's just how we achieve those goals is where we get into the more partisan politics. 
Well, speaking of differences, um, let's talk about differences between the states. Obviously, some of the Western states that you polled are um, blue states. Some of them are red states. Um, how far apart are voters in those states on these issues? When we're, We've ta- kind of talked about voters as a monolith throughout this interview for the most part. Um, are they are they really that close um, together in terms of their views on conservation, oil and gas, wildlife, water? Well, I'll just make one note. I'm, I, I would like it to be so as the Democratic pollster on this team, but I'm not sure we've really got any blue states here. We've got some, <laughs> some, uh, some magenta that are slightly starting to shade toward blue when you look at places like New Mexico and, and potentially, well, I guess Colorado these days. Um, but, uh, but most of them are still... Uh, red to sort of to purple, I would say in most cases. But I think, you know, to your broader question, um, the differences really are pretty minimal. And the reason for that is there is such a broad consensus among centrist voters, whether they're centrist Republicans or centrist Democrats and independents on most of these issues, that despite the partisan differences in the states um, on these core issues, the, the differences are really pretty modest. Again, there might be a, a place or two where uh, on one specific question that affects state X differently than state Y, where we see a 10 or 15 point gap. Um, but the consistency, despite those partisan gaps, is really what's most striking. I'm curious if you see the same trend when you're polling on other issues other than conservation. I know you guys do other polls. Um, do you tend to see as much agreement um, in other areas? We don't, actually. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that makes these issues so striking. I mean, Lori and I work together. We do a lot of work together on environmental issues, but we've worked on healthcare, We've worked on election reform. We've worked on transportation. Um, and on those issues, we see, just tend to see a lot more partisan polarization once we get to the level of talking about policy solutions, um, whether it's taxes or regulation or, or whatever the, the sort of concept might be. On most issues now, Democrats and Republicans are, are unfortunately very polarized. And on conservation, that is much less true. It is true on climate change, and we see that in this data as we see uh, elsewhere. But when it comes to land, water, and wildlife, it really is one of the few areas in our political life where we do see this kind of uh, broad bipartisan consensus. So, Lori, how does this poll, particularly 13 years of work on it, how does it inform your other work, whether it's focus groups, candidates, um, is that knowing that you can talk about drought with Republicans, but if you frame that as climate change, you get different responses? I think that what we see here is just really, I mean, it's something that was lacking 13 years ago. We didn't have that perspective of how does an Idahoan think compared to a Nevadan? And so this mm-hmm. this survey has really built up, first of all, an amazing amount of longitudinal data that anyone can go on the Colorado College State of the Rockies website and just peruse at their will. Um, and so there's, there's that perspective of how things have evolved over time and, and what uh, Westerners value. But I think it also tells us that you know, really underneath a lot of this, you know, voters are are more the same than they are different. I mean, we asked the very first year, we asked respondents to tell us what they liked most about living in their state. And it was predominantly about the outdoors. It was water and wide open spaces and seeing the mountains if they were in a mountainous state. Um, 
you know, seeing the sky at night. It was a lot of things that, you know, we really saw in here when we asked about goals for conservation that they wanted to protect and, and that they really valued. So I think there's, I think it's just built up this, this uh, sort of better understanding of how the West um, views these issues that are so much impact those of us who live here. Dave, same question to you. How does the Colorado College poll inform the rest of your work? Um, in my case, I think as a, as a Democratic pollster, um, what it does is it uh, helps me push people to be a little bit more bold and think a little bit more aggressively about what they can accomplish when it comes to conservation. Um, you know, if I'm designing a poll for an elected official, I start out telling them, hey, on the core underlying values here, this is a no-brainer. It's a it's a 67% issue. Um, and certainly for someone who's focused on Democrats and independents, in most cases, those numbers are, are even higher. Um, so push the envelope. If you want to do more, do more. There is absolutely no political uh, downside to doing it. And this data, you know, as a public resource that sort of shows where Westerners are, um, is really helpful in, in making that case. All right. I think that's where we'll leave it. Dave Metz with FM3, Lori Weigel with Newbridge Strategy, the full results of the 13th annual Colorado College State of the Rockies Conservation in the West poll. You'd think after this long, I'm really good at just spitting all of that out in one sentence. Uh, it's all online. We've got a link in the show notes. Dave and Lori, thank you so much again for joining us. Thanks for having us. This week's good news is that a rare type of milkweed that grows along the U.S.-Mexico border has been listed as endangered over the objections of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. The Fish and Wildlife Service designated over 600 acres as critical habitat for the prostrate milkweed, citing efforts to build a border wall as a threat for citing efforts to build a border wall as a threat to the plant. FWS also noted oil and gas exploration and wind energy development as threats. Now, FWS did say that the designation won't impede border wall construction, but Paxton seems to think otherwise. In a letter to the service, he said that the designation potentially affects ongoing and future efforts to erect and establish deterrence to illegal border crossings, including but not limited to the construction of a border barrier. And that, of course, is a good thing for other endangered and threatened species that migrate from northern Mexico to the U.S., like jaguars, ocelots, and Mexican gray wolves. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you want to explore the Colorado College poll results even more, we'll have a link to that in our show notes. And if you want to get in touch, don't hesitate to email podcast at westernpriorities.org, or you can find me and Kate on Twitter. You can find me on Mastodon. Uh, pick a social media platform. Maybe we're there. Coming soon to TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Lori and Dave for taking time to walk us through all of the poll results today. And thank you for listening to The Landscape. 